thank you all. We've enjoyed your work this uh, endeavor and amazing how God's kind of connect uh, all of us together as a spirit. You know, I, I'm from Providence Church and uh, been pastored at the churches. I'm Matt Giles, and uh, I, I really appreciate you allowing me to be with you today. And uh, I, I want you to know, um, I just love uh, a couple of things. First of all, when I come to Oak Ridge, I was telling somebody, I always forget how wonderful it is. It's such a great community. It just feels small but big at the same time. I don't know how you guys pull that off, but uh, it reminds me a lot of Maryville when I grew up there. Uh, not Maryville now. <laughs> Mary, Mary got a little busy for my taste, but uh, so I. I uh, but I do really appreciate it. I love your building, the community here where you are, and so uh, uh, it's just awesome to be together with you. And uh, so excited to be able to share with you from God's Word today. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to be sharing with you today from Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And um, let me just tell you, uh, it's easy for us who are following the Lord, who are disciples of the Lord. It's easy for us as you're turning there to Luke 18. I want you to really think about just how much it takes, how much effort it takes, and how much commitment it takes to continue to walk with Jesus when you look at all of the things that are going around us in the world. You know, it's not something we're able to admit a lot of times. You know, uh, it, it, there is this temptation inside of us, especially with our Christian brothers and sisters, a lot of times for us to be able to go to one another and to say, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I mean, praise the Lord. Everything's wonderful. You know, I'm just excited about what's going on. And then the truth is we are broken down in our spirit. And a lot of times the world around us can be that weight on us. A lot of times it can be the actual things that are happening in our life where we feel like God ought to be involved. I can tell you that uh, I oftentimes have a hard time watching the news because the news is just so negative. I don't know if you have noticed, but you can watch the news and, and they're professionals now with the news cycle and you're going to get hooked in this cycle. The next thing you know, it's just like everything's terrible in the world. Everything's awful. It's everybody's fault. Pick your political flavor of news and, and it's the other guy's fault and it is just so discouraging. Then we read these stories about all the violence and the things that are happening. And, and we are really in a tragic time when it comes to the things that are happening around us. Then we look in our own life. You can see in your own life there are moments of disappointment and failure and if there's anything that if we, this is something we, we might not want to share but it is hard sometimes even when we know God is in control and he is sovereign and good and he is always doing things, working them for his glory. It is hard sometimes to weather that and think to ourselves, why? Why now? Why this? What's going on? What's happening? Now, what's interesting and what I love about the Bible is that the Bible pulls no punches. You know, uh, there are some things about the Bible that we have seen people turn into movies. There are other things that I hope they don't turn into movies. Uh, the Bible has different storylines, and it is always honest about the struggles and the frustrations that people have. Uh, we don't ever see the Bible where it is not genuine about the difficulties people have. In fact, the story that we're going to talk about this morning, this moment in Jesus' life that we're going to talk about, really deals with this burden we carry when we just kind of say, and, and we don't like to say this, but sometimes we just feel like, I just want to give up. 
I just want to be a normal person. You might be in a position of service and you have been doing it for a long time and you are tired and there are moments when you are tired where you say, oh, you would not say this to everybody and you wouldn't come into uh, worship practice or any kind of organization of teaching or small group and say, I really just don't want to do this today. But the truth is there are moments when we do lose heart. And that's what Jesus talks to his disciples about in Matthew 18. In fact, he decides what he's going to do in Matthew 18 is he's going to tell them a story in order to encourage them that they should pray and not lose heart. That the contrast between the two things is to be a person of prayer or to lose heart. Now, first we want to talk about the positive, which I think is incredible, which is Jesus already acknowledges the things that we feel in our hearts. He already knows those things. And so when you are tired of feeling some position or routine or influence, when you are tired of praying for the same member of your family because of the decisions they're making, when you are tired of looking and seeing the tragedy all around you, when you see death and sickness and pain and you are tired of those things, I want you to know Jesus already knows you feel that way and when he sees you like that, he loves you anyway and he reminds you not to lose heart but to do something else. So the first thing we do when we see this is we see this storyline where Jesus is saying, I know you disciples are tired. I know you've been through a lot with me. And when we get to Matthew 18, he's actually just told them in about, uh, well, basically all of chapter 17, he has told them that they are going to see harder times than they've been through. Can you imagine that? Things have been tough. They have traveled with him. They have seen the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman government and the oppression of the world, the tragedy around them. They have seen all these things. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, around the campfire, there's going to come a time when you're going to long for me because it might even be harder than it is right now. And that's when he makes this statement in verse 8 or chapter 18 verse 1 i want you to read along with me on that here's what he says luke 18 1 says this and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart the contrast between losing heart and quitting or engaging in prayer. Now, why prayer? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's dig in a little deeper what it might look like to lose heart. So he tells a parable. Now, you know how Jesus told parables. They were stories that had a general principle to them. A lot of times we see them, and there might be a lot of lessons in them, but most of the time a parable has one general idea that he's trying to get across. And this one is, you're not like this person. He tells this story, he paints this picture, and then he says, that's not you. And he tells it about this widow who is not receiving justice. Let's read that together, okay? Here's what he says in verse 2. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. 
For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Can you believe anybody would make a statement like that out loud? Though I neither fear God or respect man, here's what he says, yet because, verse 5, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, it is easy for us to just kind of move on, but I want to give you a picture of what was going on in this story and how those people who were listening, the disciples would have heard this parable and they would have made sense of it in a way that we really can't understand. Now, I happen to be a Western fan. Anybody like Western movies, old Western movies? I happen to be a John Wayne fan. Any John Wayne fans in the house? Okay, well, I, I love John Wayne. In fact, I have way too many. You can ask my wife, Kim. I have way too many John Wayne DVDs. I've got John Wayne DVDs that I bought where there are movies with subtitles in Korean. I've got John Wayne movies that nobody has seen before. I've got John Wayne movies where he actually, you can see where they've taped his eyes to make him look like another ethnicity. They've done all kinds of crazy bad movies. Nobody made bad movies like John Wayne. He was the best at it. He made some bad movies. He made some good movies, too. But I'm a big John Wayne fan because I love Westerns. And I used to watch John Wayne movies with my dad. And so I love the Western world. In fact, my greatest prayer is that there is a day. That's not my greatest prayer. My greatest dream is that there is going to come a day when we go to the movies and there's like four Westerns available to watch. I, I keep telling Kim, the day's going to come. And every once in a while, you'll see a Western come out in the movies, don't you? And then I think to myself, it's starting. It's starting. But if you're a Western fan, you're going to be able to understand this parable in a very unique way. You see, what would happen in that time would you would have these judges that would travel around to deal with cases. And so the judge would not be in a community or a city all the time. And so there would be this buildup of all of the cases and the difficulties that were happening. Now, if you know anything about Westerns, if somebody does something bad, there was a sheriff. The sheriff would get the person, whoever had done the bad thing, and they would arrest them. And like every great John Wayne movie, they would hold him in the jail until what? Anybody know? Till the marshal comes to town. And so they would call him the judge or the marshal, but he'd say, we're going to hold you here. And so if you know five or ten different John Wayne movies, the plot of the movie is they have to guard the jail so the guy can't break out until the marshal gets to town. Well, in that culture, there would be cases all through the Bible where there would be cases in the city in this time where what would happen is they would have this buildup of different cases. Now, some of them had people in jail. Some of them didn't. Some of them were just legal disputes and different situations. Now, in this case, it looks like a judge has finally come to town. The marshal has come to town. And what would happen in that time is they would set up tents. They would set up these situations where they would have a courtroom. Most of the time it was outside in a way. And they would have people running in to do their case. The judge, he's working through the list. He's trying to get all of these done. And some cases he would choose not to see at that time. And so Jesus tells a story about a judge who was not concerned about making sure everybody got justice, but he was concerned about getting his job done and getting back out of town. So he's apparently picked some cases, and some of the cases that he picked uh, were important some of them that were important he said no i'm not going to take them and one of them happens to be this widow woman now if you know anything about the relationship 
to women in Scripture in that time, not the, the endorsement of Scripture in the Bible or the way God values women, but in that time, women could not in the same way hold legal property and do some of the same things that men could do legally. So for a woman to get her inheritance, a lot of times uh, after, after the passing of her husband, what would have to happen is some sort of outside dispute or someone within the family, a man within the family, would have to vouch for her in order to make this work. And so this woman apparently has not had somebody take care of her, and so she is calling for someone to help her in order to receive finances so she can live. Now, she's not having any of it just because her case isn't being heard, so she does something crazy. She stands outside of the courtroom, and she starts to yell, Avenge me! Avenge me of my adversaries! Basically saying, Hey! He's not seeing my case. Will you help me? He's not listening to me. He's not paying attention to me. Avenge me. Okay, so imagine that all the trials are going on. He's working through the list of all of the things he's supposed to do. And the whole time, he's hearing this woman in the background. So he says, which I think is an interesting phrase, he says in verse 5, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She will not beat me down with her continual coming. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that Greek word. You know what that Greek word actually means? In fact, you could literally translate this. I'm, not, I'm, I'm from Maryville, Blount County area, so I try not to say Greek out loud. I can read it, but I don't want to say it out loud. I'll butcher it anyway. But here's what that word means. It's hoopa, hoop, I'm going to do it for you, piado, hoopa piado. That's not right, but you all don't know. So anyway, we'll worry about it later. <laughs> we'll do it later. You can Google it and you can get it right. But let me tell you what that word means. Interesting word. That word means give somebody a black eye. It means to punch somebody under their eye. In fact, the literal word is, unless she, she keeps going and punches me in the eye. So what is he saying in that? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, you know, they really got a black eye on that decision? Well, what do we know about a black eye? You can't hide one, can you? You can't hide a black eye. Now, I'm not going to tell stories because, you know, I'm in the pulpit now, not to be careful, but uh, I've had a couple black eyes in my life when I was younger. And uh, in having those black eyes, there's one thing that can't happen. You can't hide a black eye. Your eyes all swollen up. It's all black and blue. And when you walk up, you know what people say? What happened? <laughs> you can't go anywhere without what happened. And all of a sudden, you have to tell that story. Well, what's happening to this man who neither fears God or, or respects man? What's, what is happening? He is worried about his political image. This woman will not stop yelling over and over again. She's saying, avenge me, avenge me, avenge me, avenge me. Over and over again, she's making this statement. She's frustrating him. She's hurt his image. And so because of the pressure of her persistent fussing, he says, fine, I'll hear her case. Now, most of the time what we see when we look in our Bibles is we see stories that are, this is what you're like. So you'll see a story or a parable, and Jesus will say, this is how you should be. In fact, most of the time, we see things that are going from less to greater. 
So the story might be, uh, who is your neighbor? And when we see this story of the prodigal son, what do we see? Or not the prodigal son, but the good Samaritan. You see this story where it's moving forward. Like, I'll show you who your neighbor is, and then we get a positive example of what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be. The neighbor is the one who cares the most, right? That's the positive story. This story is unique because it would be really dangerous, but a lot of times we think that our relationship with God should look like this widow. See, a lot of times what happens to us, in fact, in our culture, uh, we are taught this. In fact, the danger of the church right now is this, this prosperous mentality about the way you relate to God is that if you do these things, I mean, all you got to do is watch television late at night and you'll see this message streaming through Christian faith. But the idea that if you do more, you'll get more. That if you harass God, you'll get what you want. And you could, if you wanted to read this parable in a way that's contrary to what Jesus taught, here's what you would say. You would say, if you really want to see God take care of you in a struggle in your life, then you just need to pray harder and pray more and make sure that you just wear God down until he has to do what you want. And so you may be in a situation where you've got a new supervisor and she's hard to work with. And you may be in a situation where your locker's beside somebody at the high school you, that drives you crazy and you want that relationship to change. And so you might even be tempted in your life. In fact, you may have people that tell you in your life that what you need to do is pray harder, pray more, work harder. And if you just wear God down, God is going to fix the situation for you. That is not what he's teaching in this parable. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I think there is more sorrow brought into the world by that misunderstanding in a relationship with God than there is anywhere in the sin that we see. You see, could you imagine a relationship with God where you have to harass Him to care for you? Can you imagine a relationship with God where He is not actively working in the world, where when we deal with pain and hurt in our lives, when we see struggles and difficulties in the midst of those things, when we have to watch the struggles of others and the sickness they go through or the difficulty they go through or whatever may be happening, for us to turn around and tell them, it's because you didn't pray enough, it's not fair. It's just not fair. And so these disciples are beat down They've heard this news. They've watched their own Messiah, Jesus the King, be beat up. And in the midst of doing that, in the midst of that struggle, Jesus says, hey, hey, don't lose heart. You're not like other people. You belong to me. You see, the best thing about a relationship with God is that no matter what we go through or what kind of struggles are happening around us, we never do those things without knowing He's bigger than them all. We never face those difficulties in our life without being reminded that He is sovereign over all. We also have this wonderful privilege of having our Bible which tells us how the story ends. 
And so what Jesus was reminding his disciples and what he was doing to kind of refresh them about this picture was to tell them, you're not like this widow. And I am certainly not like this judge. The widow is complaining and she's proclaiming and she's pushing and she's yelping and saying, I'm, I don't have my rights, I don't have what I need. And it was all valid. Those were all true concerns. She's not wrong to do what she did. But we're not like her. Then the other side, we have this judge who is saying, I'm not worried about anything but the PR. I don't want a black eye publicly. So I'll do what needs to be done in order to keep my image clean. That's not God. And so here's how he closes this. I want you to see how interesting this ending is. And so here's what he says. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Let's read that again, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. I want you to catch a couple of things. It would have been easy for us to assume that the opposite is not to cry to God day and night. It was not the crying day and night that, that God wanted us to contrast. And those of you who know the scriptures know that uh, Paul's encouragement to the church at Thessalonica is that they would pray without ceasing, that we should always be in prayer to God, that we should always be trusting him. I can tell you my best prayers are some of the shortest prayers that I ever pray. And most of the time those prayers are in my head when I'm in the midst of something and I say, Lord, help me not to hurt this child. No, I'm just kidding. That's, I have prayed that though. <laughs> but there are these moments, right? where we are praying these prayers. Maybe we're going into a major board meeting presentation. Maybe we're in the midst of a quick decision in a hospital room. Maybe we're in the midst of some sort of relational conflict where we look and we seek the Lord. Those are moments that we cry out to Him day and night. There are those moments when we sit down and we are consciously, purposely turning off the phone, turning off the television, turning off those things, and we are crying to God day and night. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying and what Jesus was not saying, which is that we are to have this relationship with him that is disconnected because we're just saying, hey, he's going to work it out how he wants to work it out. That's not what he's saying. In fact, if you remember what the contrast was, the contrast was they ought to pray and not lose heart. And so when we pray, what we're doing oftentimes is not asking God to deliver the situation we're in and to change that situation as much as we are saying, God, help me to see this thing with how wonderful and glorious you are in the midst of it. That's a harder prayer. It's a lot harder prayer to pray. It's a lot harder prayer to pray for us to say, hey, God, can you, can you help me to see this situation with your eyes? 
It's a lot harder pray, prayer to pray to say, God, can you help me make sense of your grand plan? It's a harder prayer to pray to say, God, I want to be able to have your perspective and your patience because I know how you will restore the world when the time comes. And so what's interesting about this is he is saying and teaching us that prayer connects us to the kingdom of God in a unique way. Now, if there's anything wonderful about the Bible, it's the idea of the kingdom of God, that it is already but not yet. You see, we are already people of the king. And so it doesn't matter what church you're a part of. It doesn't matter what circumstances or location you are in the world. I, I have the privilege, I'm super blessed to be able to do the things I do, which I get to travel a lot. I've been to Iceland and Honduras and Brazil just this year. I'm getting ready to go back to Iceland. I'm planning to go to Korea and some other places next year. And so uh, we're just, I'm going all over the world. And you know what I find is consistent? God's people. The kingdom of God. Because you can go somewhere there and because these people have the opportunity to call out to God day and night and because they have the indwelling spirit and God's truth is in every circumstance, we are all unified in this kingdom. So what is God saying is the comfort that we receive speedily? Well, he's telling us that his kingdom is already here with us, but it is also not yet fulfilled. And the thing that makes a Christian so powerful in their witness, is that they can live in the present, calling out to him day and night, and rest in the hope that he has already done what he's not done yet. We have the ability as Christians to know that those we have lost, we will see again. We know where they are. We have the ability as Christians to know that although injustice is controlling this world and violence and difficulty is holding this world hostage, what do we know? We know that the time will come when he will fix all those things. So what comes speedily? The reminder of who he is. And when we see God in his wonderful plan, when we see God in his wonderful narrative of what we're called to do, all of a sudden, we can walk through a struggle in a different way than other people can. Doesn't mean we don't hurt. Doesn't mean we're not frustrated. But we feel his justice. We feel hope. We're in the already but the not yet. And when somebody hurts us and we have to forgive them and in a lot of ways we have to carry, uh, let go of those burdens and, and you may be in a situation, I know in my life I've been in a situation where I have been hurt by someone and, and really the burden and the pain is something I'm carrying and the Lord has to remind me, listen, I can give you justice now for that. I paid for it on the cross. Why would you carry this pain and not forgive them? And so what we have is this picture. Now, I, I want us to kind of figure out why he would end up here, why Jesus would end up here with his disciples. So there's a couple other passages I want you to see. I want you to look at the perspective he's taught them that could have sucked the heart out of them, made them lose heart. Uh, I want you to skip back with me to uh, Luke 17. I want to look at verse 22. 
And here's what he says. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. Verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Can you imagine being able to walk with Jesus and hear his voice? You know, I, I always think about the privilege these disciples had. You know, my dad has this thing he does. He, he'll clear his voice, <laughs> clear his throat. <laughs> I, it does, we can be in a giant concert. We can be in Disney World, and he's got my grand, or his grandkids, my kiddos, in his hand on the other side. I can hear that. <laughs> I'm like, that's Jim Giles right there. I know my dad, I know it. The disciples knew Jesus like that. They were right there with him. And he just told them, hey, it's getting ready to get worse for me. And imagine they were saying, it's been pretty bad for you so far. And they started to lose heart. Earlier in this same conversation, here's something else they say in verse 17. I want you to skip back and see this. Jesus has told them that they should uh, forgive someone over and over and over again, seven times in the day, and in turn, 70 times, saying, I must repent, you must forgive, over and over again. And here's what the disciples say. Look what he says, verse 5, 17, 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And so I want to close with this. Look what he says is the most important part at the end of this parable passage. Verse 18, verse 8. Look at this. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What kind of faith is he talking about? It's the kind of faith that when we lose heart, we cry to him in confidence. Knowing that he will remind us of how to see the situation we're in. Knowing that he will restore to us this grand vision of how he will fix the world and all the problems in it knowing that we will be continually trusting that hey he is going to do what he promised he would do and that's the only way we get through situations that we don't understand i once heard uh John Piper preached a sermon, and in, in this sermon he made this statement that I thought was incredible. He said that God uh, is working in millions of different ways in every situation, and usually in his grace, he lets us see three of them. Millions of situations, and in his grace, he lets us see three of them. Oh, but he's working. 
And in the present, he sustains us. And in the future, he will redeem us. And he will fix the injustice and the struggles and the things in the world. You know, Maranatha, you've heard that phrase, I'm sure. Um, it means come quickly. And it was a call that the Christians continued to have in the early New Testament to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come back and fix this thing. And so I think what he was reminding his disciples to do was to come quickly, to say to them, hey, listen, have hope now. Have hope now. Because it won't be long, and I'll fix it all. I know that in my life, the best moments I've ever had with God are when I could actually say, I don't know what I'm going through, but I know who will fix it when it's over. I am so glad you and I are not like that widow. We have not been pushed out of the court. We do not have a judge who is unjust. But we have a God who loves us and a Savior who proclaims His guilt on our behalf, which He has no guilt, so that we can make it through today. So how do we not lose heart? We pray to be reminded in the present and to be restored in the future. You pray for me. God, you were good. You are loving. You are wonderful. You are working out a plan that is grander than any circumstance we could be in the midst of. God, we just rejoice that we can pray to you and lean on you and trust you when we want to lose heart. Lord, it's a real honor to, to be able to speak to you in a way and tell you that we do lose heart. And that in those moments when we are tired, in those moments when we are frustrated, when we are not exactly sure what you're doing, when we look out in a world and we say, this place is crazy, what's going on? God, we know that you're there with us and you're still sovereign. I pray now that those who can hear my voice, and myself included, that through your spirit we would be reminded of your goodness. That we would trust you. That you would help us to rise up in a new energy and hope. That the time will come when you will restore. And we get to be a part of it. Start with our heart. Start with our minds. Remind us of your goodness and your greatness. May we forever be connected to you when we lose heart. And may you restore us. And when you do return, may you find that kind of faith in us. People who don't have it all together, who don't have all the answers, but are longing for you because we know you do. We just thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.